Welcome to A Drink with a Friend. I'm Seth Haynes. And I'm Tish Oxenreiter. Tish. Mm-hmm. How are you? It's been a, it's been a, a week. It's been a long time. It's been a, a long week. week. It's been a very long week, and I'm doing okay. Um, it's really gross here weather wise, and I've done nothing but kids stuff. I feel like, but otherwise, I mean, it's summer. You know, yeah. how about you guys? And I feel like it's the same way. Like that, this mm-hmm. kind of heat and humidity and general awfulness uh, in the southern weather makes just really long days. You know what I mean? Just yeah, brutal. And for me, it's I've had to rearrange my schedule because I like doing lots of outside throughout the day, like stop and take a walk. I now have to like strategize not going outside after like 10 Mm a.m. and then after 7 p.m. Although I will say, P.S., yes to southern heat, but I am fully aware of all the Pacific Northwest crazy going on. So listeners right now. That are dying. Do you know about this stuff? I don't yes, know. it's okay. insane. Yeah, it's insane. And I really feel for them because, you know, having lived up there for when we did, um, they usually don't have AC or that it's rare to find AC. So when it's 112 outside that, you know, it, it feels differently than for us down here who can at least hunker down in the house. So, yeah, yeah, it feels yeah. like 1000 degrees. Mm-hmm. And and when it is 1000 degrees outside. Uh, whether you're in the Pacific Northwest or in Austin or in Arkansas, you need to have a good watering hole, a good place to <laughs> sit down and kick your feet up and get a cold drink. Uh, yep. As we say in the South, cold drink, get yourself a cold drink. So uh, <laughs> what kind of cold drink are you drinking today? I am drinking iced tea because it is the South, but I'm I'm making it fancy by it being hibiscus iced tea. So. Oh. I wanted something without caffeine because I'm working on that post-noon caffeine. Um, And it's good. So, yeah, just classic southern summer drink. That's all. Nothing more to it other than the hibiscusness of it. So, yeah, there you go. I love it. How about you? Sounds great. Well, I am drinking. I'm very excited about this. I got really bored with drinking the same old things on this show. And so I went to the Whole Foods um, again, not sponsored by Whole Foods, but if you're listening, we're open. Um, yeah. and I grabbed GT's Alive Ancient Mushroom Elixir. Have you ever heard of this? No, but I've walked by it and wondered what it, what the story was about it. So it is evidently a type of kombucha. Um, it, it says it has a fruiting body and then it explains what is a fruiting body? A fruiting body is a, is the whole mushroom fully form cap and stem. I don't have any idea what that even means. Most products only use the mycelium. Again, don't know what that means, which is the root of the mushroom. However, using the fruiting body is the best way to get more of its nutritional benefits. So it has three types of uh, mushroom in it. And evidently it's, uh, it has a fruiting body in it. So that that's uh, supposed to be super important. Um, it has 200% of my daily vitamin C, if you can believe that. And also 31% of my daily carbs. So that's kind of problematic. But listen, <laughs> this is the um, root beer flavored, and it's actually pretty good. Well, that was going to be my follow-up question that I'm sure everyone's wanting to know. Okay, but is this good at all? I mean, at all, yes, at all it is. Now, is it root beer? <laughs> Great, no. But of course, mm-hmm. it has way less sugar. It actually only has 16 carbs in it. Um, so it's not like... It has a ton of of added sugar like a root beer would. 
mm-hmm. but it's pretty good. I actually like it. I would recommend it and drink it again. And if you uh, were to go to the Whole Foods or your whatever your whole, you know, uh, whatever, what do you call that? Like Whole Foods type of store is and grab it. Let yeah. me know what you think. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Is it fizzy? Very fizzy. Okay. So it's yeah. like a sparkling kombucha like it literally tastes like um, root beer-ish kombucha, and Got it. I assume that there are mushrooms in it because it says so, but it does not taste mushroomy. That's cool. Mushroom things have become really popular in the hippie world, I've noticed, just because I have one toe in that world. And um, yeah, I have yet to dive in, but I see it everywhere. So We do a lot of mushrooms in the Haynes house. We We have mushroom powders. We have one of our children is wicked into mushrooms of the uh, non-illegal variety. Um, <laughs> right. I should be very clear about that. Um, and yeah, I generally sort of feel better when I eat slash drink mushrooms. But then yeah. the other uh, side of that is it could be a complete placebo. I have no idea. Well, isn't that true about all these things? But I I tend to think sometimes these are placebos until I have uh true junk food like i haven't had a soda in decades but i you know have had a sip of a soda and i instantly feel Ugh. so to me that means like okay the non soda things are at least nutritionally neutral which is kind of a lot that you know that's what we can ask for these days yeah i mean to me full bodied sodas meaning full sugared sodas have the taste of regret <laughs> yeah yeah Hundred percent, yeah, no doubt. That's especially, all I have to say about that. Yeah, yeah, especially at forty three for me, I just can't do it anymore. So, yeah, anyway. I think we it's pretty soon we're gonna have to call this uh, show forty three and me um, because <laughs> I think we blame things on on middle age every week. Um, you know what? That's okay, I'm a fan. So my birthday's late summer. Yours is early fall, right? October. Something? Yep. Yeah, we should do something in the middle where we talk about it and just get all the everything out of our system and then move on and not bring it up again. <laughs> that would be awesome. Can we kind of be like the two grumpy old Muppets on the Muppet Show? <laughs> yeah, I, I thought of that too. Yeah, we yeah. could. That ha- that comparison has not not been made at our home. So yeah. So Tish, this week we have been thinking about you know what's been on our minds, what's kind of motivated us, what's moved us, what sparked our imaginations. And I want to share a story with you. Good. So as you know, I was in this little place called Marfa, Texas. And as you know, because I've shared on this uh, podcast, there's a photographer who takes photos of Marfa and then has these like little um, pithy quips like Marfa. It's very mediocre here. Things like this, Um, which is really funny because Marfa is, as I said last week, quasi mediocre. However, if you go south and you go down into Big Bend National Park, um, it's this amazing national park. Honestly, it's an amazing national park that I'd never heard of outside of the Anthony Bourdain. I think it was No Reservations, but it may have been Parts Unknown. But his episode on West Texas, I did see it in that episode, but I didn't connect that it was Big Bend National Park. So we went down into the national park as we got out, it was kind of, you know, we were getting close to sunset and the sun was beginning to sort of peak down behind the mountains. The mountains in Big Bend National Park are massive, like Mm -hmm. just on a scale that I had no idea. 
Yeah, people and, are surprised by it. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was it was unbelievable. I feel like I was in Colorado, except for right. I was in South Texas, and um, and it was blazingly hot. Um, but anyway, I was standing at the foot of one of these mountains, and I was looking up at this one that was called I think it's called Mule Ears, and I was looking at this mountain and um, was just so taken aback by the beauty. Um, and it wasn't just the mountains; it was the mountains, it was the sunset. Um, it was kind of the, the cloud formations in the sky. The cactuses were blooming, which I don't know that I've ever seen cactus blooms like really? in real life until okay. this trip. Um, so it was just all these little tiny things um, that sort of added up to this one majestic and beautiful moment. And in that moment, I described it to a friend as feeling intensely small, like mm-hmm. the feeling you get when you're looking out at the ocean except smaller. And I have no idea why the vastness of, you know, these mountains somehow felt more vast than the ocean, which appears to be endless, but it did. I just felt really small. It was like this moment of beauty that was profoundly transformative in the moment and really, you know, kind of opened my eyes to something uh, that was much, much, much bigger than myself. Mm -hmm. And so we started talking, you and I started talking about that a little bit. And started uh, sort of exploring or thinking that it might be fun to talk about the ways in which everyday beauty sort of draws us through to something transcendent or teaches us something or moves us. Um, And that's kind of a big example. I mean, there, you know, we all have that moment every now and then. But there are tons of little examples, too, of just how beauty sort of in the everyday moves us or teaches us something. So, um, yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, you know, it's really the the main topic of this whole show, right? Like we deep dive onto subtopics such as writing or taking care of our bodies or, you know, loving where you live, these kinds of things as forms of beauty, but really the overarching question we ask on on this podcast is what does it mean to live noticing the beauty i think yeah um it it is a practice that we both have learned that we can't live without so that's what we like to unpack so i love the idea not only of deep diving on this a little bit but um doing that regularly you know yeah. like yeah every couple months on this show, let's pause and remind ourselves and therefore remind our listeners, because I bet you they're in the same boat as us, uh, of what it means to notice beauty in your everyday life. Because for the most part, we all, you're right, we all have those moments when we are somewhere astounding and we have to stop and feel our smallness. But I think it behooves us to do that when we're also stuck in traffic. And we're also loading the dishwasher because that's the reality of most of our days, right? Um, Most of us cannot spend our time wandering mountains as much as we would like to. You know, we're responsible adults. So I think it's a great topic for us to explore with our listeners. And the other reason I really love that you brought this up is because I literally wrote something about this on Monday of this week as this podcast goes out. I wrote a piece. I actually wrote it late last week out of a compulsion to write it down. And I don't know if you've ever had this, Seth, whenever as a writer, there are times when I can't find my pen and paper or, you know, digital pen and paper fast enough. And there are times when I am avoiding it 
like yes. the plague. Like it's my job to avoid it because for whatever reason. And so I started this piece by asking the question, why are there times when I avoid it? And why are there times when I can't stop myself from doing it? And as I unpacked writing for myself, I realized, oh, I think the difference is when I choose to notice beauty or not. And really by way of doing so, uh, acknowledging through gratitude, because that's what beauty should lead us to, right, is being grateful for it. And so to me, that was the difference between literally having a mindset that wanted to be a functioning adult that contributed to society and not. Um, by acknowledging the good things that are beautiful in my life. So I think it's really essential for all of us to do this regularly. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. So what's one place in your life right now where you're sort of finding uh, beauty in the everyday? All right. So, you know, because like I said in this, this essay, I wrote noticing the beauty has to be a habit for me because I am an Eeyore by nature. I'm just mm. I'm kind of melancholy. <laughs> I, if I'm not careful, I will complain instead of praise. Yeah. And so it's a habit building. Like I truly have to do this. I was working on this this morning. Like, okay, I have a headache. It is hot. Like how we started this, this chat. Um, what's good right now? I looked over and my 11-year-old has a veritable mess in the living room of cardboard, like cardboard everywhere. The hot glue gun is on, scissors, knives, the whole bit. And my initial response was like, oh my gosh, what a mess. I'm going to have to remind him 10 times to clean that up. I paused and I noticed what's the thing behind the thing. And it's, he is making some phenomenal art. He was Mm. really, he is into this um, kick for a year now of creating his own personal armory. So he's got, (laughs) he's got through wood scraps from Kyle all the way to cardboard, all sorts of weapons and all sorts of um, armor. And so he was making different helmets out of cardboard. And we're not just talking box on head with eye holes. They are like authentically, like he made an ancient Greek one and then he made a, medieval French one or something. And now he's working on some Japanese one or whatever, completely on his own volition because he has plenty of cardboard. And so the thing that I've decided, because I tweeted about this as well, is I love it when I witness other people doing their thing well. Mm -hmm. And I I don't know if you know what I mean by that, but I mean, I'm sure you know what I mean by that. I love, to me, it is a thing of beauty to just watch other people get lost in the thing they love. So my son making things out of cardboard, Kyle in particular, I think for him, the first one that comes to my mind recently is when he was helping people during our free Texas freeze, he was just completely in his element. He loved, he thought it was so fun to go to to our neighbor's houses and help them unfreeze their pipes. Mm. That to me is a work of art to have that posture of like adventure um, and yeah. then, of course, I can think broader, like Wendell Berry's poetry and farming and the way he lives in the land. You know, th- there's big and small is my point. So that's my first one. Just the the joy of witnessing other people do their thing well. Mm, that's good. I think that remi- that sort of segues good into the first place of beauty that I've been able to see okay. in everyday life. And um, 
for me, it's someone doing something well, but it's also the direct result. Um, and it's the, the output of the garden in my backyard. Um, mm-hmm. Amber has done such a good job this year. She's always done a good job with gardening. She loves gardening. Um, but this year she really paid attention to, you know, mixing flowers in with the actual garden that bring a lot of beauty to the garden space. And the result has been absolutely astounding. Um, just, it, it almost looks like an English garden mm-hmm. and, and the way it's just set up is, is really well done, but she thought through colors, she thought through, um, you know, height of plants, um, she thought through what kind of herbs we want to use in the kitchen and, and, uh, what are the best varieties to get, you know, beautiful flowers like lavender or striated lemon, um, thyme or things like that. So she's just really done an, an amazing job. So she's done it well, but it's really just walking into the backyard and seeing how beautiful it is. And, and like the last three mornings I've sat out there and had my coffee just because it's Mm -hmm. so pretty and so beautiful. It's such a good way to start the day. It brings in uh, lots of birds. Um, It brought in some deer last week, which was a little point of contention. Also brought in a raccoon that may or may not have eaten a tomato. So um, it's become sort of a a little um, garden of Eden in our backyard. And it's been really kind of amazing to watch it unfold. And and it's, it is every day. Uh, she puts a little bit of effort into it every day, and the result has been astounding. That's, I, I love watching Amber through the screen do it. So I can only imagine in person the delight of sitting there. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons I want to talk with her soon on the show is because I want to unpack with her what it means to garden, you know, from a fellow wannabe homesteader. Um, with a brood of kids and chickens that I think she has really done well, this lay uh, living in the land business that I've always been so intrigued by. She seems to really have tapped into that. Uh, maybe starting the pandemic. I don't know. Or maybe she's just talking about it more, but um, it's been fun to watch. It's cool. Yeah. There's a, um, a, a local podcaster, um, and he, his name's Clay Newcomb. He runs a podcast called Bear Grease, which is on the, the Meat Eater channel. His podcast <laughs> um, and our podcast probably don't have a huge overlap in listeners, <laughs> uh, although maybe a little bit. Um, but he, he ended up on the Joe Rogan podcast, actually, this last week in an interview, and um, which was really funny because you couldn't get two more different people uh, talking to each other to what to one another, but he was, you know, Rogan was asking him about living close to the land and just uh, actually about hunting and, and Clay sort of spun it to, you know, this isn't about hunting. This is actually about living close to the land. And when you make a decision to hunt, to be a hunter, you're actually identifying with being dependent on and close to the land. And when you decide to be close to the land, it changes all the decisions you make. It changes how far away you go on vacation. It changes how you raise your kids. It changes how you interact with your wife. He even used the phrase, it changes the way I view the sanctity of my marriage. He used that phrase on a Joe Rogan podcast. It was pretty unbelievable. But what I thought was really uh, amazing about that, and it's kind of speaking about beauty in the everyday, I mean, what, what Clay was saying is, you approach every day differently, mindfully, 
um, thinking about the the real world implications that the land has on your life. Um, and I've watched Amber do that for the last really 15 years in different ways, in different places, in different houses. Um, she really does focus on how does the land affect my life? And if it affects my life, how can I make it more beautiful? How can I partner with it to make it more beautiful? And I think that's really like a practice of everyday beauty. Mm-hmm. It's a gift. That's cool. I love that. All right. So where's the next place where you find everyday beauty? Well, it, I'm going to just segue into what you've said a little bit with living into the land. Um, I posted about this on Instagram, this idea of something I've really grown to appreciate about small town life is that life just feels the right size here. And that's what I thought of whenever you said that about whenever we choose to live with the land and with the seasons and to even feed yourself from it is that what we're doing is shrinking our life to the right size, Mm, I think. Yeah. And so this example is completely different than hunting. You probably could not get more different, but Last weekend and the weekend before, our small town, and in particular, the coffee shop behind the house across the street from us. So I don't know if that makes sense. Like if I'm looking this way, um, straight, you know, west across the street from that house behind it is a coffee shop with a backyard. In that backyard, a new community theater group performed a Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, wow. The, t- the ticket was buy a cup of coffee at this coffee shop and we're going to perform for you. It was the full play. So hours long, completely memorized, which I'm always impressed by with Shakespeare. And it was a delight. We all sat around on the picnic tables. You know, there were bug spray on the tables for everybody. There was a taco truck. Um, and it was just phenomenal. I mean, you could tell the the costumes were kind of piecemealed. They were definitely not like, you know, what your kids would do for a living room show, but they were a few steps beyond that because this is just community volunteer theater. But it was so well done. And it was so fun to sit there with our neighbors and eat tacos and watch Shakespeare 200 steps from our front porch. Wow. It was remarkable. It almost felt otherworldly. It felt this, um, it felt like a kind of a wink from God because I've been craving, um, the phrase I've been using to Kyle lately is I've just been craving being whisked and wooed. And I Mm. haven't been getting that. And what I mean by that is whisked away, like I think travel, but in a more um, whimsical way and wooed meaning just kind of by life. Everything's just been feeling kind of ordinary. And I just miss that feeling of, you know, serendipitously coming across some beauty. And to me, this is a bit of God saying, all right, how about I just flop it down in almost your backyard, you know, a Shakespearean play performed by your neighbors. So for me, it was both the largeness of, you know, an epic play by the epicest of playwrights. And then the smallness of done by my neighbors for the price of a cup of coffee, um, piecemealed in the corner of a backyard. So it was a delight. That's kind of amazing. I'm very, very jealous of you right now. Yeah, it was really cool. And we chatted for a while with the the leader afterwards. They're going to do it again next summer. They're going to do some stuff this fall. They're going to do a murder mystery over the holidays. And it was just like, 
okay, I'm glad I live here because this is the time of year when we question our sanity about living in central Texas. Um, and it, it gave me a little kind of a pinch of like, no, 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 stay put. It's okay. You can live here. So yeah, it was great. Yeah. And who knew that uh, central Texas has so much art? I guess everyone who lives in central Texas. I was going to say, this is a very art filled part of Texas. I mean, anywhere from Austin and like a hundred mile radius out of that is very artsy. So it, that part doesn't surprise me. What surprises me is just the, uh, the neighborliness of it all. You know, this was not done on a stage. This was done in a coffee shop yeah. backyard. So yeah. it was great. Well, and I think the beauty of community, I think the beauty of community is, is a place where we both find everyday beauty. And, and it's certainly been true in my life and, and um, it's certainly been true in my life recently. So Amber and a group of uh, women in Goshen, Arkansas. Um, This is all about Amber. Maybe we really should have her on the show. But anyway, (laughs) they have pulled together what is called the Goshen Farmer's Market. And conventional Mm -hmm. wisdom says they should have taken a year to plan it, taken their time, and then launched it in 2022. But I think, again, because we've just been so locked up, we've been so tired and stir-crazy, when they had the idea to do it, they just said, let's launch this in six weeks or whatever, eight weeks, um, which is bonkers, but they did. Yeah. And it has been incredible to watch. And so they've been in contact with local vendors. The vendors have come together. Um, they've pulled together um, just an amazing array of, of people, you know, people who grow vegetables and berry farms and, you know, painters and artisans who make, you know, wood carved stuff. Um, there's someone who makes handmade pens, jellies and jams. And so when you stand in the middle of this little, you know, quad area and you look at all the tents, it's just this array of amazing, uh, beautiful colors. Um, and it's so fun. I actually get to take the photographs uh, for it. It's so fun to photograph because of the various mm-hmm. colors and because of the people and the dogs. And this last week, there was another little bit of beauty that showed up. Um, I was talking with a a group there They're called the North North Song, I think is the name of the group. And it was, uh, they, you know, every week they have a community tent and this um, group was, was in the community tent and they are uh, veterinarians for veterinarians for mm-hmm. uh, birds of prey, mostly, but birds in general. Hmm. So if you're out in the woods and you see a hawk who has uh, who's hopping around and can't fly, you call them. They come out, they get the hawk, they take it in, examine it, um, and, and you know try to rehabilitate it, you know fix its broken wing. And in fact, they're going to be releasing a hawk that had a broken wing that they've rehabilitated um, in the next few weeks, I think. But while we were mm-hmm. there, I was standing by the community building, and I heard this thunk, and I turned around and looked. And there was a cardinal on the ground hopping around. And it was this oh, wow. young juvenile cardinal, which means all its feathers weren't, weren't in. Right. It was some brown, some red. Um, but it couldn't fly. It didn't seem to be flying. And so I ran over and I, I grabbed them and I said, hey, you know, you want to show us what you do? Because there's a <laughs> cardinal now that's run into something and can't seem to fly away. Uh, so they came over and they looked at it. They picked it up. They pulled its wings out. They felt around on it to see if there was anything wrong with it. Um, and as I was looking at uh, this bird, um, you know, you're, you're closer to a bird at this point than I've 
than you're ever really able to get to a song. Sure. I mean, it's like right in front of your face. You're watching them like work on it and it's biting them and pecking at them. And and there's this moment though. Um, and you know, I don't speak bird, so I'm not sure that this is exactly what happened, but there was this moment where the bird just kind of gave in just kind of like, mm. okay, I'm relaxed now. You're not trying to eat me. You're not trying to kill me. Um, and they, they just slowly work their way over this bird and they found out that it had a broken wing and they put it in a little box and they've carried it off to their place to try to rehab it. And we'll see what happens. Um, there's mm-hmm. maybe some head trauma too. So you never know how those things turn out. It may not be good, but, um, but they were taking this beautiful animal, this wild, beautiful animal who completely gave in uh, to their, to their, you know, treatment, to their expertise, to their knowledge, um, right there in front of me. And, um, and is now on his way to, you know, see if he can be fixed up. And, um, there was something to me that was really poignant about that moment. It was the beauty of nature at the beauty of, uh, the farmer's market with the beauty of these people's expertise all coming together in a way that seems mathematically absolutely impossible that it would have ever happened, Um, And so there was something about that sort of beautiful communal moment that felt like beauty in the everyday. You know what? To me, it it harkens back to that first thing I mentioned, which is watching people do their thing well. I mean, bird fixing. That's a very specific thing to do well. And yet, hey, it's a really good thing that people do that well. And then I will say perhaps Amber's ability to whip together something like this with her community of friends. I think it speaks, this story speaks to the beauty of meeting a need you see. Like, like, you know, she saw the need for this farmer's market. And instead of wishing someone would do something about it, she did something about it. Yeah. And how many of us just stay at that spot of like, man, it would be great if somebody did that. You know, like when you're walking around, you see litter everywhere and you're like, someone should clean that up. It's that same idea. And I think it's really cool that Amber did it and that she did it imperfectly, you know, because like you said, starting it six weeks in, I mean, yeah. it's not going to be done perfectly. And yet she started it anyway. So to me, I hear all sorts of hints of beauty from that story besides the obvious. Yeah. And to be really clear, I think if you asked Amber, she would say of all these women that started, so there are five of them, um, mm-hmm. that she was the one that was like, let's wait till 2022. We got to get this right. And it was mm-hmm. the the leadership of, um, of this one really amazing woman who was like, nope, we're doing it. And it's been kind of cool to watch. It's just what it's cool to watch all their skill sets come together to create this sort of beautiful communal uh, place. Yeah. That's really cool. That sounds amazing. I want to, I want to go check it out. Yeah. We'll have to come on up, come on up. Cool. (laughs) All right. What about one more place where you're finding sort of beauty in the everyday? All right. Well, um, I'm, I'm torn between these two. I'm debating. Okay. I'm going to go with this one. Um, it's a little more, I don't want to say traditional, but it's it's a little more universal perhaps. And that's just summer sounds. So I was thinking of this, you know, an hour ago. And then I laughed as right when we were about to start recording, both neighbors, like one across the way and one next to me decided to start playing dueling weed whackers. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, great. <laughs> so in case somebody has been able to hear that through the microphone, I don't know if you can. Um, that's what's happened. And 
you know, of course, I'm annoyed at that inconvenience, but I also weirdly like the sound of it because it's one of those sounds you don't hear all the time, like meaning year round. And I've I've decided, even though I don't always love the feel of summer in Central Texas, I think it is possibly one of my favorite seasons. It might be my favorite season overall. Not because of the feel, but because of things like the sounds and the smells. And so for me, summer sounds are things like screen door slams and cicadas, even though that's also like it has that like scorched earth apocalyptic sound cicadas. I still like the sound because to me, it like it screams summer crickets at night um, that we could hear the midsummer night's dream from our front porch whenever it was rehearsing and, and going on. Um, so that sound, backyard chickens, the sound they make, we're starting to notice certain specific sounds when they're about to lay an egg. Um, so I just love sounds and, you know, live music from several blocks away. But I think even just the universal sounds we all know, like a lawnmower or um, rocking porch squeaks, things like that. I mean, I, it sounds cliche. It sounds kind of over the top and a little too obvious and kind of tropey, but I like them anyway. Mm. So for me, it's summer sounds. Mm. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a really yeah. good one. And I think that harkens back to why I've been sitting in the backyard in the morning for my coffee is it's not just the, it's not just the, the, the beauty of the flowers, but it's also those summer sounds. I mean, mm-hmm. everything yeah. again, from birds to lawnmowers um, to dogs, there's also a dog in my, one of my neighbors has a puppy that it annoys them in the morning, I think. So they put them outside and it's so yippy. But yeah, uh-huh. it's the summer sounds. It's like, it is kind of, that's amazing. And to me, noticing the summer sounds makes up for the ridiculousness of the summer heat. Like it's my way of seeing the beauty, even when things aren't exactly how I want them to be, such yeah. as 98% humidity. So yeah. Yeah. Do you guys right. have that much humidity down there? Are you kidding? <laughs> we we did a few days ago just because it was thunderstorming. Oh, that's really. That's rude. No, we that's get a rude. lot of humidity though. It's in the eighties. So it's, it's no, no bueno. We, that's a huge reason we leave. It's not so much the heat, the humidity. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's rude. Anytime it's above a hundred and the humidity is above 80%. It's just rude. It's time to leave. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. So what's your final, uh, noticing of beauty right now? Also in the sounds, um, Titus, my youngest is obsessed with music. And he has been sitting at his piano and at our piano and listening to any piano song whatsoever. It could be anything. It could be anything from, you know, Billy Joel to, you know, Rachmaninoff, which I don't think it's been Rachmaninoff, but it has been some classical music. Um, and he will listen intently for hours and plink out the songs Wow. Um, just by ear. And it's really amazing to watch. And he's not always, you know, again, it's not like he's n- nailing. It's not like he's like, you know, playing rock bond and off, but um, just, just the ability to sort of see and hear and listen and take it in and then uh, translate it to the keyboard. And he doesn't do it, you know, by watching how to videos or anything. He just literally listens and then translate what he hears um, to the keyboard. And, and that's really beautiful to me for a variety of reasons. Um, but, but primarily the beauty here is just the beauty of everyday simple music. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that we, particularly those of us who play, uh, musical instruments, um, there's, there's a difference between those of us who play musical instruments and those of us who legitimately 
love the art of the musical instrument. And what I mean by that is I'm not, you know, when I sit down with my guitar, I'm not necessarily trying to nail a song. Um, I just really like to play what I'm feeling in the moment or what I hear in the moment or what's coming to me. And there's something about that that's just really fun. And when I listen to, to Titus play piano, he's not trying to nail the song. He's just trying to play some representation of that song that makes him happy. Um, and he just smiles the whole time. It's so fun to watch. And so I, I feel like I'm watching um, a child fall in love uh, not with the perfection of music, but what the with the idea, the notion, the sound, um, the pure joy of music, uh, and that's such a big part of my life that it's just so fun to watch. And so for me, everyday beauty is is legitimately watching him, uh, you know, fall in love with this music. It's kind of amazing. I think it's you with you appreciating the beauty of watching your own child discover beauty. You know, because yeah, everything you totally. described about the music to me is like, oh, that's the beauty of music. You know, that's yeah. that's not the science of music. That's the beauty. Well, I guess the science is the beauty, but you know what I mean. Um, how old is he again? Nine. Yeah. That's remarkable. Yeah, that's really, is. really cool. And you know what? I bet you that's an encouragement to parents listening right now who are perhaps like not noticing the beauty of their kid practicing piano ad nauseum or telling them a million stories even though they're really good at it, but because they can't get a moment of silence in or the things that kids do just for the, the joy of childhood. Yeah. It's easy for us adults to, um, to wish it would stop. And yeah. I, I think it's really cool that you are choosing instead to notice the beauty of him discovering music. Yeah. Yeah. It's been amazing. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, to your point, the, these original creators, you know, the original creators of this music, they didn't set out to mathematically figure out what would sound right to the ear. I mean, they sat down with passion Mm -hmm. um, and they played what they felt for the joy of the music. And I think that's one of the things that we do wrong in teaching kids music. I've been playing music now since, I mean, 30 something years. And so um, for me, I think as I've seen, even as I've taught kids guitar or whatever, I think one of the things that I've seen is is we really suck the passion, the joy out of music at early ages by saying, now memorize your scales. Now, no, you know, like we treat it like it is some science and some mathematical formula. And there are great things about that too. Like you have to know your scales, right? You have to know your time signatures. Like I get that stuff. But, um, you know, Titus was, was in piano lessons two years ago and he got so freaked out at his first recital that I thought he would give up forever. Mm. Um, and And I felt really bad about that because I knew better, you know? Um, And then over the pandemic, you know, there was no pressure. There was nothing but for him joy. And so he would just sit down and slowly sort of work through the piano. And it was a different way of approaching, um, Mm. approaching music. And it's just really worked for him. Did you know, kind of fun fact that the ancient Greeks categorized music as a math? They actually categorized it as audible math. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It was one of their, you know, it was like geometry, mathematics. I mean, geometry and music as a form of mathematics. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And there's actually um, a whole body of work of work around um, geometric shapes of sounds and right. uh, the, you know, there's some ancient Pythagorean application of uh, music, which has been used by both christianity and cults alike in order to conjure sort of the spiritual mood it's music's really interesting when you start to get into the 
to the sciencey side of it. I want to unpack music more in the show. Maybe, you know, our next season when we are in the fall, we can we can talk about why it's so magical. Yes, I'm yeah. in. I'm I would love that. in. So, you know, you listening in, hearing us just talk about the the beauty in our lives. I think the obvious takeaway from listening to this is make sure you do this regularly in your life, whether that's like what I talked about in my essay this week of make it a habit of writing it down every morning or just pausing and realizing that something that could potentially be annoying is in fact beautiful. Um, And Seth and I, since we both really value the discovery of beauty in our lives are excited about something that we can't wait to share more with. And I'm going to leave it as a cliffhanger because we can't say more, but it's going to be really great. This opportunity for you to discover beauty with us in person somewhere really, really cool. So uh, yeah, get ready for that announcement. Was that cryptic enough? Cryptic indeed, but also exciting. And if, it wasn't exciting. It should be. So I'm going to say about that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. So be listening for it. Make sure you're subscribed to this so that you don't miss it. All right. So Seth, this is the part of our show when we transition to what thing of beauty is in your life. And the whole episode was about that, but I think we can still get specific and talk about something from this past week. So what are you reading, watching, or listening to these days that's adding a bit more beauty to your life? None, none of the above. None oh. of the above. I guess okay. you could say I'm watching, but I'm actually viewing. Is that It's a little bit different. So okay. I have been, um, and we've talked about this a little bit, I think, offline. I don't think I've talked about it on the podcast, but I've been sort of exploring my earliest forays into both art and Catholicism. And they, they actually intersected in a really, really interesting way. Um, when I was really, you know, young and, um, it, it, the summer before I started Catholic school in the fourth grade, my grandfather took us to Washington, DC. We went to the national gallery and at the national gallery for the first time, I came into contact with the work of Andrew Wyeth. Um, Yeah, I was really tiny. I was was a small kid, you know, just after my third grade year. Um, And Andrew Wyeth does a lot of things with unclothed women. And so there was definitely some very, uh, you know, I get a lot of hot flashes there as a child. But um, his work is so intricate and detailed and the way he he uses light and shadow um, is so amazing um, throughout all his paintings. And so lately, I've been sort of going back and trying to figure out where that sort of nexus point was between sort of this um, sort of religious awakening I had in fourth grade um, and and the beauty of art and trying to find where they've connected. And so I've been looking at a lot of old Andrew Wyeth paintings and the stuff that um, is really moving to me uh, is the stuff where uh, you, you can just see like the slightest detail um, highlighted. So a strand of hair or the way the set of a set, a set of curtains sort of bends to the wind um, in his paintings, he's able to somehow paint with a, a realism that is so moving that it just, it feels like he somehow is like imparted or has been, has been given um, 
just like a transcendent gift that most people don't ever get in any area of their life. Um, so I've been looking at his paintings and just really taking it in and seeing like, man, God, thank you for giving us an artist who can create with such realism and such beauty and um, even such whimsy in the way that he'll, you know, pull out a single strand of hair or the way he'll pull out a strand of lace or a single blade of grass. Um, there's just something about the work that just, it, it really moves me. Mm-hmm. I remember like pausing cause it's like my body couldn't move on when I first came across, I cannot remember the name of the painting, but it's the one with the woman in the field and she's yeah. looking at the house. What yep. is that one called? I don't remember. Um, I don't remember the name of it, but, but they actually yeah. had it here at Crystal Bridges. Um, wow. Not too long ago. Oh man. Okay. That painting just stopped me in my tracks. And it's really simple. It's a woman in a field looking at a house. I mean, not really looking, but you have a million questions looking at it. Like, what is going on? Um, Yeah, he stood out to me early on whenever I was, you know, I I took some art classes in college as someone I really resonated with. So I, I love that you mentioned that and that that's your thing you're watching. Yeah. And that, uh, that painting, I just looked it up. It's called Christina's world. And, okay. and Christina's world is the one I was talking about where you can like look at it and see those individual blades of grass as she's sort of looking back, uh, to the hill, uh, in, in what, you know, feels like some Midwestern, you know, bleak Midwestern scene, but it is a really astounding painting. That's cool. Yeah. We'll, we'll put a link in the show notes if you're now dying to know what it looks like, cause you probably have seen it in passing, but when you see it more up close then yeah. Oh man, I'm looking at it again. That's just remarkable. It's truly amazing. So Tish, what's one area of your life? What's one thing you've been watching, listening to, or reading that has brought uh, truth, goodness, or beauty to, to you? Well, we can't make this up and we don't plan in advance or tell each other, but mine's an artist as well. And so... But she is very much alive and active and on Instagram. I'm taking a cue from you and mentioning someone I have discovered through Instagram. You know, my favorite thing like you is art, Um, treating Instagram as a museum instead of a mall. And so have you heard of the artist Jess Franks? No. Okay. Well, she's someone I discovered on the gram and I'm really glad I did. She paints landscapes, but she paints them in a really unique way um, where they're a little bit realistic and also not quite so realistic. So kind of both. And in fact, I'm going to look up really fast. She says something in her bio, the way she describes it. Um, She's just Frank's art on Instagram. And um, she goes to a lot of great places. Some of my favorite places like national parks. She just released a series on Maine. So um, she says landscapes that dance the line between real and abstract. So Mm. that's, that's what it is. It's really simple, but I love her style. I really love it because it's not modern art, but it's not, it's kind of a 21st century take on landscapes. Um, I am, I'm bookmarking ideas because I want to buy one for our house because Mm. I I really, first of all, I love buying art from the artist. I think that's a real joy. Um, I love supporting artists and it's, I just really dig her use of colors and um, the scale that she paints. And so um, she just released, well, I don't know, just currently available is her main series. So she did a lot of landscapes on Maine, which is 
I have never been to, but it's high on my bucket list to go there. Uh, and so, yeah, I am a big fan of Jess Franks and I look forward to hanging her work in my living room. Yeah. I'm looking at uh, her feed right now and it is beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. And it just, it's, it seems in some ways very simple, um, but it's not simple. <laughs> it's, no. one, it's one of those things you look at and you're like, oh, that is beautiful, simple. Oh no, that's not so simple. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's yeah, really it, well done. If you have the ability to zoom in, that's where your, my mind starts blowing because it's like, oh, trees, lovely, kind of in a Bob Ross way. <laughs> then you zoom in like, oh, no, that's a lot of geometric shapes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's really, really cool. that's, that is beautiful work. I'm glad you uh, pointed that out to me and I'm now following along. There you go. All right. Well, um, yeah, I mean, this is what we love to do, right? Find beauty, find artists and make sure that we add more to our lives. So really that's a great takeaway, I think, and a great way to end this, this show that if you're wanting to add more beauty to your life, perhaps seek it out on places you are anyway, like Instagram, you know, you don't just have to follow the people with six figure follower counts because that's who everyone else is follow. Find the art that you like and, and click follow and make that part of your feed. I have not regretted that for a second. So it's time to wrap it up. You can find this episode as well as all episodes at a drinkwithafriend.com. If you like what we're bringing to your week, you can actually help us keep doing this podcast by picking up the next round of drinks. The show is free for you to listen to, but it's not free for us to make. So that is a really great, simple way for you to make the show keep going. You can buy the next round of drinks for us. Find the link on how to do that in the show notes of this episode or at a drinkwithafriend.com. And thank you so much in advance. And thank you to the many of you who've been doing that lately. We've had an uptick in people tossing coins in the tip jar. And I'm really, really grateful. (laughs) Yeah, I can't. I mean, without it, would I be drinking this mushroom kombucha? Probably (laughs) not. Maybe not. not. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So thank you, guys. Uh, You can find me and all my work, especially my newsletter and my books at tishoxenwriter.com. Seth, where can people find you? SethHaines.com. Super simple. All right. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. Editing is by Kyle Oxenrider. Caroline Tassell is our transcriber and assistant extraordinaire. I'm Tish Oxenrider, and Seth and I will be back here with you soon. Bye.